0: morning. Looking forward to uh, to hearing from you this morning. Absolutely. Just don't let the candles go out. <laughs> how long are those things going to well, last? We'll see. All right. Wow. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so great to uh, to see you here, uh, here this morning. I'm going to start my little stopwatch thing so I know exactly how long I've got in case I can't see the little candles over there. Uh, burning, but anyway, uh, Pastor Josh didn't tell me until yesterday that I was going to be competing with and following the kids' Christmas program, and I can't, I can't compete with that. So if he had told me earlier, I'd have rescheduled for a different day. But, but uh, hopefully you'll give me a little bit of grace anyway and hear what I have to say because I've got a kind of an interesting story that I'm going to share with you all today. Uh, but first of all, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kurt Ebert, and I grew up here in Washington, graduated from Washington high school. Uh, in fact, my uh, my family still still lives here, and I've got a long family history, in fact, uh, in the city of Washington. And having all of you here today, a lot of you uh, friends and family, it's like having a reunion, uh, being back here. So uh, thank you, Pastor Josh and First Baptist Church of Washington, for, for allowing me to come today and to share uh, with you. So uh, today, maybe to some of you, uh, your joy and maybe to some of your chagrin, but I am not going to preach uh, to you today. I'm not here to to give you a sermon. Uh, that may make some of you very happy, uh, may make some of you very sad, but I'm not going to be preaching God's word to you today, so you can sit back and relax. I am going to uh, just talk with you today. I'm going to talk a little bit, and I'm going to share a story with you about our God, about how great and mighty and powerful our Lord is, and something that He has done in my life, and perhaps maybe then He can do something similar uh, in your life. So I've got a kind of a rhetorical question here, so don't jump up and answer this, but uh, anybody in here a uh, parent? Anybody have any any children? Or maybe anybody in here ever had any parents? <laughs> Thank you, brother. You got it. <laughs> anybody had any parents? Or are you a parent currently? Did your parents or do do you as a parent teach your kids that they can do anything? I mean, have you taught your kids that if you just work hard, you can do anything that you want? I mean, did your parents give you that message? Did they drill that or instill that into you? If you work hard and believe in yourself and try hard enough, you can do anything. Just put your mind to it. I think the the world, the society that we live in has taught us to be good parents. You, you kind of have to teach that. Uh, to your kids you've got to give them that that message to little 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 child there that that if they work hard enough they can do anything that they want like little johnny comes up to you and says mom or dad i want to be you know a quarterback in the nfl and, and i really want to play in the super bowl and i want to be that guy at the fourth quarter and we're down by a few points and i march our team all the way and throw the winning touchdown to win the super bowl and you're supposed to say to your kid if you work hard enough you can do anything Little Jane says I want to be the, you know, the gold medal winner in the the women's figure skating in the Olympics. And you're supposed to say as a good parent that if you work hard enough you can do anything. When actually in our own lives we're being huge hypocrites. Because actually in our own lives we spend way more time saying I I can't. I can't do that. I could never do that. No matter no matter what I ever did, I could never do do that. We're busy in our lives making excuses for what we can't do while we're trying to tell our kids that they can do anything if they just simply work hard enough. Now I'm speaking to the church here today and so even worse as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we tell God that we can't. Sometimes we're guilty of telling the Lord, no, I won't do that, because I could never, ever do that. And one of the realities of life, one of the truths is that that statement actually, really, it is true. Most things, a lot of things that we're called to do, that we're asked to do, that God tells us to do, we can't. We can't do it on our own. You see, Bible, the Bible, God's Word that I'm, I'm holding right here, has so many messages to teach us, so many things to reveal to us. And one of the great realities that I've learned in my Bible is that when we are dead in our sin, we are unable to do anything. Unable to do anything on our own, especially to please God. The Bible speaks that when we are in our sin doing anything wrong against a holy and perfect God, that we can't do anything on our on our own. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't stop there. We're getting ready to celebrate the birth of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah that came, lived a perfect life, died for us, was buried and rose again. That through Him, we can be changed and made right forever. The Bible doesn't stop with us being incapable of doing anything on our own. It continues and tells us the glory of this guy named Jesus, God Himself, coming down to earth in the form of a man, temporarily, to do what He had to do to make us into who we weren't so that we could be with Him forever. The Bible goes on, and it it doesn't stop with with the stuff that we can't do, but it says that if we will simply, by faith, trust in Him and turn our lives over to Him, Wow, that He'll change us. Change us from the inside out and make us completely new beings. Radically different than who we were before. And the Bible goes on and it says that if we do that, if we turn from our sin and trust in Him, that He will invade us and change us. Filling us with His very presence called the Holy Spirit. Then He empowers us to do anything and everything that He calls us to do. Now, one thing that I've learned in reading my Bible and studying God's Word is that when we are then changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, that He expects a level of obedience that might seem crazy at times. What I've learned is that when we surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, He wants obedience. In fact, what He wants is everything. He wants us to give Him all that we have, and quite frankly, He's very deserving of it. Because He gave us everything and then he wants the exact same from us for for him what i've learned in reading my bible and reading god's word is that by faith we have to do whatever he calls and asks us to do even when it's crazy even when it seems absolutely impossible <laughs> Uh, the Bible, as I said, is, is full of great verses, lots of amazing accounts of history, lots of prophecy, lots of poetry, beautiful songs, and then the glorious story of the promised Messiah coming, all the acts, some of the acts that he did, the acts of the apostles, all the letters to the churches afterwards, the Bible is full of great and amazing things, lots of wonderful verses. Now, uh, because of my eyes, and by the way, for those of you that, that don't know, I'm technically legally blind. I've got a type of ha- of macular degeneration. It's called high myopic macular degeneration. It's caused me to lose my central vision. It's caused me to have blind spots. And so my acuity is terrible. It's, it's 2,200 roughly, uh, legally blind. And then I've got these bad blind spots on top of it and so uh, I have better days and I have worse days there's good lighting and there's bad lighting but I have terrible eyes and it's something that the Lord used to, to really wake me up and get my attention and get me to dedicate my life to him where before I could kind of do whatever I wanted I was on my own but because of my bad vision one of my favorite verses in God's word is 2nd Corinthians 5 7 maybe some of you know that a verse it's a common verse it's a popular one but it really speaks to me. And in 2 Corinthians 5.7, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he, he tells them, he tells us, that, that we walk by faith and not by sight. I really like that verse. I really like that, because that's a great description of, of all of our lives as believers, as born-again followers of Jesus, but it especially describes my life, because there are times when I'm walking in bad lighting or whatever, and I'm truly stepping by faith and not by sight, because I have no idea where my foot is going to land. I love that verse, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now one afternoon, it was the end of March uh, this last year, or this year, my wife and I, Teresa, we were sitting on the couch, uh, minding our own business, doing our Bible study for church that evening. The Bible study was called the Insanity of of Obedience. (laughs) Uh, Wow, what a study. And during that Bible study, we're sitting there, again, minding our own business, just reading Scripture and and doing what the book said to do. And while we're sitting there doing that, it was as though the Lord Jesus Himself came and stood right there between us. It was as though He he stood there and revealed Himself right to us, and He laid a call on both of our hearts. And the Lord Jesus, Teresa and I both firmly believe that He called me to go out and to hike the Appalachian Trail. Now, those of you that don't know about the Appalachian Trail, I'll give you a couple of of trivia facts here real quick. But the Appalachian Trail is a footpath, and it's marked by two and a half inch by six inch white blazes. And it starts at Springer Mountain in Georgia, and it runs for 2,190 miles up every single mountain, down every single mountain, through every hill and holler and valley, over every rock pile and creek and swamp and slough and any lay-down tree or stickery thorn bush that they could find between Georgia and the state of Maine. 14 states, 2,190 miles. We just looked up yesterday and, and discovered that on this Appalachian Trail, there is 515,000 feet of elevation gain. And loss if you 've ever walked through the Appalachian Mountains, you know exactly what i 'm talking about, so the Appalachian Trail is a very popular path that that lots of people use because it runs through fairly uh, civilized areas, very populated areas but it 's this great path down there in in Georgia, running all the way up to to maine, places where i 've never even been before and Here the Lord is calling me this blind guy to go out and hike this trail and man, I argued, I argued with the Lord i I pleaded with the Lord, that's not something that I wanted to do. I don't even really like to walk. I would never have been really backpacking uh, before. It's not something that I, that I wanted to do or strove to do or whatever. And here God is, is calling me and asking me to go out and to hike this trail, I believe, as kind of a mission trip, to be a believer, to be the light of the Lord Jesus in a very dark place called the Appalachian Trail. I pleaded, I argued, and... Huh, The Lord reminded me of my favorite verse, a crazy verse. You walk by faith and not by sight. I said, Lord, physically, there's no way I can do it. I'm blind. Did you forget that I can't see? There's no way I can do it physically. I, I struggle and suffer with something called fibromyalgia. A lot of times I hurt and ache all over and everything hurts when I'm not doing anything. God, I can't do it. There's no way. I can't do it emotionally. My wife is my best friend. I don't want to be away from her very long at all. I've got four kids. They need their daddy, and quite frankly, I need them. I said, God, there's no way financially I could ever do it. For me to hike that trail, it takes most people six months. I'd have to quit my job, which means we'd have no income. We'd we'd lose our house. We'd have no place to live, no money. God, there's no way I can do it. And he said, I thought your favorite verse was you walk by faith and not by sight. And so I said, Jesus, if you're calling me, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it is that you ask me to do. And so on March 30th, Thursday afternoon, I left Springer Mountain, Georgia. Backpacked full of food, full of tent, full of clothes, warm clothes, full of everything I thought I might need to walk 2,190 miles and hopefully nothing more because every ounce matters when you're walking through those hills and and those hollers. I left Springer Mountain on, on this Thursday afternoon, and let me tell you, Georgia is a wake up call. Our oldest daughter Emily is is in her second year of college and she's in the the pre-med track and something I didn't know about college classes but I learned now since she's been going is that they they purposefully make some certain classes extremely hard to weed out those that don't want to actually be in the in the class. They don't want to go down that track or pursue that so that there's fewer students competing for the teacher's time, etc. You get the point. I think Georgia is kind of that that weed-out state on the Appalachian Trail. Lord, have mercy. Let me tell you. Coming from Illinois, I mean, Washington, you look out the window, it's flat black cornfields. It's black dirt. And you roll down to Georgia and suddenly you're in the mountains, brother. Let me tell you. The mountains. And so Georgia was created, I think, by our Lord and Savior to weed people out from hiking the whole Appalachian Trail. Now, the Appalachian Trail has a dropout rate of about 80% as it is, and I 20% dropout in Georgia after the first 30 miles. It's the first real road that you get to. Uh, 25% never make it out of the state of Georgia. People that are attempting and have said that, told everybody they know that they're going to do a through hike of the Appalachian Trail. So the first night, we my, Teresa, my wife, um, was able to go with me for about the first week, and then she had to return home. Somebody had to be responsible uh, and take care of the kids. So she got to go with me for about the first week and we started out at Springer Mountain and we were kind of nervous and kind of scared and kind of excited, wondering what in the world is God going to do? He's called me to do it. Is he really going to allow me to do it? Because quite frankly, there's no way I could ever do this. And so we leave Springer Mountain. We hike about eight miles. You have to start out slow because you're carrying loads. You're in mountains and you got to let your body get acclimated. We set up camp and it was like one thirty in the afternoon, but we knew we weren't supposed to go any further. So we sat there and some wrestled and drank water and looked at each other and whatever, all afternoon. And that night when we finally got to go to bed and go to sleep, huge storm came in. Lightning storm, driving rain. The rain was pouring so hard it was actually bouncing off the muddy ground and in through the screen in our tent. Our sleeping bags were getting wet. Our clothes were getting wet. I thought, what in the world have I got myself into? Six months of this and Again, when God was creating the world, He, he was practicing making mountains in Georgia. And I mean, He did a good job. They, they're like this. I mean, steep. And then when you go up, you might get a quick view, but then you've got to go down. And people often say, would you rather go up or down? I'd say neither. But, but up is better because you, you get to work your muscles. It's, it's hard physically, but going down is very painful. Down hurts your joints and, and your knees and everybody that I was seeing had knee, knee braces and so I thought, what in the world, God, there's no way I can walk through Georgia. And so I experienced the thunderstorm, experienced driving sleet, driving snow, ice, rain, uh, huge strong winds, freezing temperatures, and God somehow miraculously allowed me to keep walking and to make it through. Through that, we camped in a place full of poison ivy. Poor Teresa got it horrible; uh, I got it terrible. Uh, we had to walk and deal with poison ivy. She had to go go home again to be responsible and take care of the kids. And stopping by the prompt care to get shots to stop her her poison ivy as her face was all covered and swollen. Again, I'm thinking, what in the world, God, have you really asked me to do? I can never do this. Go a couple of more days and get to a place called Top of Georgia Hostel. It's a place where hikers can stay. And I wake up in the morning and I'm excited to get going. I've hit 70 miles of mountains up and down and snow and sleet and lightning storms and ice on rocks and everything. And I wake up and my back starts to hurt and it gets worse and it gets worse. And next thing, I can't hardly move my legs I have to go to the hospital in Hiawassee, Georgia and get a shot, muscle relaxer and an anti-inflammatory. And I'm thinking, God, what in the world have you asked me to do? I've, now I'm laying down in this hospital. I have nowhere to go. The doctor says, well, what do you do, by the way? And I said, well, I've actually been a Southern Baptist preacher. And he looks at me and he says, in Illinois? <laughs> yes, sir. We actually have a thousand Southern Baptist churches up there in Illinois. And he said, wow, well, it's too bad you don't have any place to stay around here, you know, while you get better and recover. He said, yeah, I don't know anybody. He says, hang on a minute. Long story short, he calls the pastor right next door, the Southern Baptist Church, that parking lot adjoins the hospital. pastor comes over, meets me. He says, hang on a minute. He goes and calls a local couple in the congregation, and they come and pick me up, and I get to go stay with Jim and Sharon Blanton for as long as I need to to let my back get better. Absolute, loving, born-again believers, dedicated followers of the risen Lord Jesus, and to this day, we're great and incredible friends. I began to see that when God calls you to do something, He'll make it absolutely impossible. But then He'll show up and do great and mighty and incredible things. And so God allowed me to walk 78 miles through the state of Georgia and make it into North Carolina. And when God was practicing mountains in in Georgia, He got even better when He got to North Carolina because He made them even bigger. Way bigger and then way steeper down. I thought, Lord have mercy. It was neat to get to a new state and it was brutal. North Carolina really hits you right between the teeth. But I kept going and I kept walking. I kept putting one foot in front of the other, walking by faith and not by sight, literally at times stepping down when I had no idea what my foot was going to land on, praying the whole way. By the way, we vlogged my journey, videotaped all of it, and I've got followers from all over the world, born-again believers, praying for me all through the hike. A lot of you are here today because you followed along on my videos and you prayed for me daily. There's absolutely no way I ever could have done it without you guys. North Carolina, God allowed me to walk through it. And then you border Tennessee for a while, and you're in and out of North Carolina and Tennessee and the great Smoky Mountains, absolutely majestic and huge and beautiful and smoky and cold The weather always changes on everybody up in the Smoky Mountains. It started out brutal hot, and later I thought I was going to be hypothermic, and I couldn't get my stove lit later that afternoon because my hands were so cold from hiking through sleet and snow and driving rain, pouring rain all day. At times, the Appalachian Trail was nearly knee-deep with icy water. I did 13 miles through the Smoky Mountains in the freezing rain, and I couldn't find water that night to uh to make my meals and to drink and so their spring was buried under water i didn't know it at the time but i couldn't find the spring and everybody was huddled in the shelter and nobody would could tell me where the water was cuz they'd not been out in the weather uh to get it themselves and so i had to get surface water runoff water and i boiled it and treated it and filtered it and all those things but god was with me through all of that and that night as brutal cold as it was and as as bad as i couldn't feel my fingers and my teeth were shaking and and all that i learned that i could survive that i could I could deal with that, and I had great and incredible confidence. My confidence was boosted incredibly, and God saw fit to allow me to go through North Carolina and Tennessee. And one freezing, cold, rainy night, you're going to think every night was cold and rainy, but those are just the ones that stick in my mind the most. I walked 25 miles and made it into Damascus, Virginia, with four great friends. One that was searching for the Lord. He had no idea what he was searching for, and, and God put us together, and I was able to minister to him, to share the gospel with him. And I believe that, that this day, Dean uh, is now a born-again follower of Jesus. He's trusted uh, in the Lord and, and, and repented of his sins. And so, anyway, Dean and some others, we, we got into Damascus, had this big, long day, and we get there, and there's no place to stay. The city doesn't allow camping, and there's nowhere to go. Every hostel's full. There's no hospital, uh, no hotels. And we're freezing cold at 7.15, 7.30 at night. And we were just starving, hungry. Again, 25 miles, the longest day I'd had so far. Had dodged a huge lightning storm earlier that day, sitting on rocks and not knowing if that was going to be my last day or not as the lightning. And I didn't know at the time, but tornado was just south uh, of me. But 25 miles and made it into into Virginia. Um, it was great motivation to get into another new state. Um, and I called Teresa and I'm like, "It's pouring rain. We have got nowhere to stay." And she says, "There's a viewer on your YouTube channel that wanted to buy you dinner when you got to Damascus. Hang on." And she texts or gets a hold of Tim and Miranda Horn, complete strangers. And long story short, Tim and his wife leave their house at nine o'clock at night and drive 30 minutes through the driving rain to pick up five soaking wet, smelly, starving hikers freezing cold hikers and take us back to their beautiful home and do our laundry and let us shower and get warmed up and we stayed up until like one in the morning talking about how great Jesus is. That's God showing up when we're saying that that we can't. God allowed me to walk 550 miles through the state of Virginia. There was a wicked rumor out there that was so not true that Virginia was easy, that it was flatter and that there wasn't many mountains or whatever and I don't know who started that but all of us through hikers want to um, firmly tell them that they were wrong because we wouldn't want, anyway Virginia was was rough and beautiful all at the same time and God showed up in huge ways, he allowed my family to come and surprise me and and, and be with me and encourage me through a time when I was suffering from some shin splints, some brutal pain in my shins because of all the miles I'd done coming out of the Smoky Mountains and all those. But God just showed up whenever I needed him. He was always there. And he got me through 550 miles, the longest state on the whole entire trail. And, and God allowed me to do something that I never could do and to make it through and to get into West Virginia. And West Virginia began to get rougher and rockier and drier and hotter and and more difficult. But it was cool just to be in another state. And God allowed me to go through and to stop at the headquarters for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and to take pictures and celebrate the unofficial halfway point on the whole trail, hitting 1,000 miles, walked through mountains and hills and hollers and creeks and lightning and snow and sleet and near desert, dry conditions, 15 miles one day with like a third of a liter of water. God allowed me to make it halfway through the trail, something I could never do, legally blind, suffering from fibromyalgia, not even liking to walk, never backpacking before. God was there. God was with me. And somehow miraculously allowed me to go through West Virginia and make it into Maryland, and Maryland became our new favorite state because there were these little things called delis along the way. And you could stop and get food, and even better yet, cold drinks. By now, it's summertime, it's getting hotter and hotter, and I've lost about 25 or 30 pounds, and we could eat anything we wanted and everything that we wanted, and you would still lose more and more weight Drinking every cold drink possible. And so, Maryland had ice cream just a mile or two off the trail. And if my family wasn't there, we could hitchhike a ride and go get cold ice cream and sit down in the shade for a while. And God was clearly in that. <laughs> He allowed me to make it through Maryland and, and enter Pennsylvania, the Mason-Dixon line. I even got to do that with with our oldest daughter, Emily. Uh, we've got a cool picture where we're high-fiving over the, the Mason-Dixon line, and God allowed us to enter Pennsylvania. And let me tell you what a brutal state that was, long and hot and dry and boring. Sorry if you're from Pennsylvania, but the trail goes through boring parts. <laughs> And then it gets pretty exciting and pretty sporty. The last third of the state or so, and it's absolutely huge boulders and rocks. And I think there were a couple of days where I never really touched dirt. Simply walking over boulders. Some, four or five boulders that would fill this whole sanctuary. And God allowed a blind guy suffering from fibromyalgia, not even liking to walk, to walk through Pennsylvania. The official halfway point, celebrating like crazy with a half a gallon of ice cream at one setting. I had to do it. It's the half-gallon challenge. And if you don't know me by now, I'm not going to back down from a challenge. You could eat anything you want when you're walking 20 miles a day carrying a heavy backpack. So God saw me to see fit to walk through Pennsylvania, make it into New Jersey and cross over the river. And New Jersey was terrible. The rocks that we had to walk through in Pennsylvania now were sharper than they used to be. They didn't quit at the state line, which we were hoping for, but we secretly knew would never happen. And I fell that day twice. I cut my hand, probably should have gotten stitches, slipped on a sharp rock when I was talking to Teresa, belly aching and crying and moaning to her, what in the world am I doing? I don't know if I can really keep doing this. And I fell again, one of the lowest days emotionally and mentally on the whole trail. And God loved my wife. She just sat and listened and let me complain. And later on that night, I got a cold drink of water and I set up my tent and I ate my ramen noodles and my tuna fish and my peanut butter crackers and my little little granola bar that I had every single night on the trail. And you know what? I woke up the next morning ready to go again. God was there. And he saw me to fit to walk through uh New Jersey and make it into New York. And let me tell you, New York was terrible. It was absolutely hot. And when God was working on the mountains in Georgia, he made them bigger. But when he got to New York, he thought he'd throw a kind of a wrench in the works, not really call them mountains, but more like huge rock face scrambles, if you might know what I'm talking about. And there, somehow when he created it, he created these rebar steps in the mountains, in the rocks to allow hikers to climb up this thing that they call the Appalachian Trail. And by now it's absolutely not hiking, it's climbing. Climbing up and down, 100-degree heat, 100% humidity, breaking records in New York for heat waves. And by the way, one of the greatest blessings of hiking through the mountains in the south was the ice-cold mountain spring water, absolutely clear and cold and delicious. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York, it's brown, stagnant beaver ponds. Low elevation, mosquitoes, duckweed, Brown tannins, hot water all day, every day. Remember those delis that I talked about? We'd walk in and get two Gatorades and two Cokes and a Cherry Coke and drink it all. Beaver Pond waters, But God saw fit to allow me to walk through it to, it, to make it through it. A legally blind guy suffering from fibromyalgia, not even liking to walk, and suddenly I'm making it through New York and into Connecticut. And Connecticut began to get back into the mountains again and it was beautiful and there were still these God-given gifts called delis And we could stop and get sandwiches and cold drinks and God saw fit to allow me to make it into Massachusetts. And when he created Massachusetts, he started getting warmed back up again from creating those mountains down south. And we began to get into some really steep and and incredible mountains in one particular day in Massachusetts. I was going up five different peaks, five different mountains. I had to climb and summit and go back down and I had five thunderstorms that came through that day. God was there and God was with me because one thing you don't ever want to do is be on the summit of a bald mountain in a lightning storm. And wouldn't you know it, every single time I was able to be on the side of the mountain headed up when the thunderstorm came through and then passed. And inevitably every single summit I got to the sun would be shining. I'd go back down, start climbing the next one, a huge thunderstorm would roll through, lightning cracking all around up above me and I would slow down, let it pass and climb back up and summit the next mountain and God saw fit. To allow me to hike through Massachusetts and make it into Vermont. And Vermont was terrible. It was muddy. They call it Vermud. And the beginning third of it was blow down trees and very few blazes and very few markings. Uh, by the way, is she putting, yeah, putting some pictures up there. And these are just pictures of trying to go along in the states as we go. Just some scenery and some of the things that we're walking through. And periodically you'll see the white blazes that marked the trail. But got into Vermont and huge mud puddles and walking through mud every day. And then when you're out in the wilderness, you every night take off muddy shoes and muddy socks and sweaty clothes and you pile them up in the corner of your tent and you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and guess what you have to put on? Sweaty and wet and muddy clothes that you've worn for three and four and five and six days in a row. Muddy and sweaty every day. It rained the first six days in Vermont. But about halfway through Vermont, it began to change, and the mud kind of let up, and it stopped raining. Thank you, Jesus. And it began to become my favorite state. I got to go eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream at a Ben and Jerry's place. That was awesome. What a gift from God Ben and Jerry's is, especially when it's bumping 100 degrees and you just want to be cooled off. stayed at an amazing hostel called Green Mountain House, had pancakes and bacon and eggs, and those kinds of things just rejuvenate your soul. And all along, I'm meeting people from all over the world, from every state in the Union, from nearly every country all over the globe, that have come to this trail searching for something. Searching for the meaning of life or what their purpose is or whatever. And I'm out there as a born-again follower of Jesus. By the way, everybody gets trail names. And my trail name was disciple. Because that's the best word I could think of to describe exactly who I am. So I am a follower of Jesus. And nearly every day I got to talk to people from nearly every state, nearly every country about who this Jesus is and why I was out there. And when they found out what he was asking me to do and the conditions that I had to deal with, uh, with my vision and everything else, they're blown away at how great our God is. I hiked with atheists. I hiked with agnostics. I hiked with people pierced up and down, tattooed from head to toe from all different walks of life. And they all know at least this disciple. Loves that Jesus. And he's really changed his life. God saw fit to see me to walk through Vermont and make it into New Hampshire. And Lord have mercy, let me tell you. God warmed up his creation of mountains down south. He began to perfect them in the beginning of New England. And he really got rocking and rolling in New Hampshire. Now I'd never been to Old Hampshire before, let alone New Hampshire. This is uncharted territory. And the profile from down south, when I went through all these brutal mountains that were killers and weeded out all the hikers and most people quit and everything else, now suddenly in New Hampshire, these mountains, my arm isn't long enough to show you how big they are. Absolutely huge, mind-blowing, physically incapable of ever hiking a mountains, And somehow God saw fit to allow me and some others to walk through the White Mountains of New Hampshire, the Presidential Range. One of the greatest days on the trail was Franconia Ridge. Absolutely glorious because God was showing off up there with what he could create. Those of you that have ever been up there know exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely impossible for someone like me to ever do it, and God did it. God showed up and he allowed me to do it. And I made it through New Hampshire. I mean, you talk about a miracle, an absolute act of God, a feat that is perfectly and completely incapable of me ever physically able to do it. God did it. The Lord did it. And somehow I was able to enter the great and final state of Maine, the last state on the trail. And there... At the border of the, of this last and final state, I'm shedding a tear and we're taking pictures and I'm celebrating the last state and I go four tenths of a mile further and I walk out onto a cliff. I mean, a cliff. I'm looking at the beautiful mountains and I'm looking at the two helicopters that are flying overhead. I'm thinking, wonder what those guys are doing. Why are there two helicopters just circling this area? And I thought, uh oh, somebody's either lost or they're hurt. I hope it's neither. And then I began to look around for where does the trail go from here because this is a pretty neat scenic overlook and I didn't realize that the trail went exactly straight down the cliff. Straight down the cliff, impossible. I don't know how in the world I was able to do it. Well, I do know how because the Lord did it for me. I prayed, I grabbed a hold of rocks, I gritted my teeth and I went down that mountain, dead, dog tired, 17 miles for the day in brutal terrain and the helicopters are still flying overhead. And I get to the bottom of this terrifying, brutal cliff that shouldn't even be on the trail. It's absolutely way too dangerous. And there's a guy sitting on a log with, with water bags on his ribs and on his leg because he'd fallen down that cliff. The guy's name was Socks, and those helicopters were there to rescue him, to, to air-evacuate him out of there, which later they did. They were, they were able to do, and that ended Socks's hike, falling down that cliff. And never should I have been able to ever do it, and God saw fit to allow me to do it. I can't. But he could. Somehow, miraculously, I was able to hike through Maine, and I don't even want to begin to describe, my arms aren't long enough, I can't describe how brutally rugged and gloriously beautiful the state of Maine is. It was by far my least favorite state on the trail. It was absolutely terrible, hard, horrible. You're at the end of your hike, you're now hitting 2,000 miles walked. 2,000 miles, every hill, every holler, every mountain, every creek, every storm, 2,000 miles, and Maine's trying to kill you. Maine and the terrain is trying to stop your through hike. And every through hiker that I knew was so mad at the state of Maine. But we kept walking and kept hiking and kept marching forward. And somehow, miraculously, God allowed me to walk through the state of Maine. The last hundred miles, my wife got to come back and join me and do it with me. And it was absolutely horrible and terrifying and beautiful and glorifying all at the same time. And on September 26th, my oldest two children, Emily and, and Gabe, Surprised me. My parents got up at like four in the morning. Poor Emily flew from college up to Bangor. My mother-in-law picked her up and drove, got her back at one o'clock in the morning, and and she showed up and surprised Teresa and I at the campground at the base of Mount Katahdin, the northern terminus of the trail. And my two oldest children and my amazing wife, the four of us got to climb Mount Katahdin together and finish two thousand one hundred ninety miles of the most rugged and beautiful and life-changing experience that i've ever ever been through i could never do it but god did god can And now that i'm back now that i'm home now that i've returned i'm i'm often asked many many times like what'd you learn out there on the trail you know kurt or disciple whatever you know me by what'd you learn out there on the trail And let me tell you one thing that i learned is be careful what verses you pick to be your favorite. Be careful the verses you pick to be your favorite verse because God has a way of making them come true in your life. I will walk by faith and not by sight. Man, (laughs) man, did he allow me to put that into practice. Something else that I learned, one of the real lessons I learned on the trail, brothers and sisters, friends and family, is that God is not impressed with your ability. God isn't interested in what you can do. God doesn't really care. One of the things that I learned was that what he does with us is reveal to us our total and complete incapability of doing whatever it is that he's asked us to do. That's what he wants. Like so many of the heroes of faith in the Bible. I mean, look at Hebrews chapter 11 and all of the heroes of the faith. They could never do what God had asked them to do. And that's exactly what he wants. He wants you to say, I can't. And that's okay. You know what? It's okay. To say to God, I can't, as long as you follow it up with, but, by faith I trust that you can. And so I will. Here I am. Send me. And I will walk by faith and not by sight. That's what I learned on the Appalachian Trail this last year. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for who you are for your glory, for your majesty, for your constant provision and protection, for your constant presence with us. How can we ever stop praising you for that? Father, we lift you up, we praise and we glorify your holy name for proving your love for us, and that while we were still sinners, broken and far from you, you sent Jesus to come and to live a perfect life, to die for us, that if we trust in him, you will save us and change us and make us new. Father, we praise you and thank you for that. I thank you for how you've used me, how you've used these precious brothers and sisters to minister in this area, to minister through me all over the world. Lord, we, we thank you for that. And we eagerly wait to see what it is that you're going to do through each one of us now and in the future. Father, forgive us for our weakness. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Cleanse us and make us new that we may be bold, empowered witnesses for you, for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So guys, I, I think we have a like one final song and during this final song it's going to be an opportunity that you may have to, to respond by faith to something that you may have heard today. Maybe you've heard from the Holy Spirit leading you and prompting you and convicting you that you need to give your life over to Him. Your pastor, Josh, is going to be down here. I'll even wait off to the side if you want to meet me, talk with me, pray with me, whatever. Your pastor will be here if you have any questions about anything I've talked about. And I will be here also. Thank you. We're gonna uh walk around the video here, but uh, if you want to come out and say what I'm sure you'd be glad to do that review. But maybe uh this is going to be a good challenge, but